Good morning, everyone. If you would, if you be opening your word to Acts chapter 21. I don't know whether this is too loud or not. Some people grimacing already and I haven't even started speaking. Hey, Ben. Watson. How you feel? Good game. Wait, 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 wait. Stand up. Stand up, Ben, stand up. No, people are looking. Ben Watson, here, Ben Watson. There he is. All right. (laughs) Just make sure you bring home the bacon every uh, game after the uh, season starts, okay? Every game. Bring home the bacon. Good for you. Good for you. Good to see you here. Some are saying, oh, he knows something about football. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it's in my notes. It says that Ben Watson will be here. Then make sure, you know, and that's the only way I knew that. <laughs> this morning, we're going to jump ahead to chapter 21 of Acts, the first 16 verses. And you may have noticed that we really haven't finished chapter 20. Well, chapter 20 deals with specifically with Paul's meeting with the elders from Ephesus and his instruction to the church and his farewell address, if you would. And so Keith has asked that he be allowed to talk about that, and we acquiesced. Some of you know what acquiesce means. We gave in. We didn't necessarily agree with, but we gave in. No. So uh, we're... We'll, we'll, we will be returning to that chapter within probably a couple of weeks or so. So that's why we're in chapter 21. Have you noticed that in the last several weeks, and it's not something we have generated nor have we conspired to do, but I want us to take note of this. Have you noticed that there has been an increasing emphasis, Bill's word this morning, unsolicited from any of us, Bill, you need to say this, a word that he received from the Holy Spirit for our encouragement, our instruction, our ministry. But have you noticed that there has been a recurring theme that is beginning to find its way into the fabric of what we're saying, and it's also within the text that we're using. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit's message to us, among other things, but to say this. Stuff is happening. And what is happening around the world in far-off countries that perhaps may have no personal impact on me today. It's coming this way. There is a tide or a tsunami of persecution, of opposition, 
of tribulation against the church. That is, you can see it coming in. You can see the emphasis last week, this week, for the next several weeks, as will be in Acts, from words that are coming forth. In fact, uh, Kelly Varnado had a word and totally, is Kelly here today? Totally right over my head forgot to ask her to share it. And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is along the same line. And, you know, when you look at a passage of Scripture, there's just so much to talk about. We fight not what to say, but what? Not what to say, but we, we, we fight. I can't say that. I don't have time for that. And so we're putting aside 20 things in order to talk about one thing. And we're battling against 20 other things that we feel the Holy Spirit could as well say to the church. And hopefully what we hear from God on a Sunday morning is to give to you what the Holy Spirit wants you to have this morning. And so that's the emphasis. Not only that I want to encourage us with this morning, but any time we gather together. Hopefully we are always presenting hearing, listening, receiving, and walking in what God wants us to hear from a text out of which there is much material, but we'll make particular applications. So we'll forget some things or rather not emphasize some things and emphasize something that we feel the Holy Spirit gives us. Father, As you always do, as you have been doing, and as you will do, build us up, strengthen us, minister to us. We are your children, and this is what you love to do. You, as our great Father, the joy of your heart is to do good for us. So, Father, we want to see your hand as we already heard shared this morning. And however you're leading us and whatever you allow, we want to see it as good for us. Because you were good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 21, 1 through 16. When we come to this particular passage, these, last six, these first 16 verses of chapter 21, Paul's third missionary journey is coming to an end. So this is the record of the conclusion of that missionary journey. And next week, Evan will pick up in verse 17 as Paul and the team are in Jerusalem. So this ends the third missionary journey this morning. The journey has covered about 2,700 miles and has lasted approximately five years. Now, I know that the journey which began to be recorded in, in Acts 18, 23 and will end today in Acts 21, verse 6, doesn't seem to be five years and 2,700 miles. But there's a whole lot going on, and there's a lot of time that has been spent and a lot of coverage of area that uh, these men have been walking around. Do we? Okay, good. We have the... Uh, the uh, 
what do you call it, the map up there. I don't have, what, what is, anybody have that little pointer thing? That little, Frank has it. Do you have it, Frank? Can you share that? That little thing with a red dot on it. We don't have one of those? Okay, whatever they call it. Now, during this journey, Paul has written two letters to the Corinthian church, at least the two that we have, and he's written the letter of Romans, so that kind of contextualizes it. So when you're reading First and Second Corinthians and when you're reading Romans, remember, this is a letter, these are letters that have been written during this particular journey. And actually, they have already been written by the time we get to Acts 21. These two letters have already been published. Now, what I'd like to do as preparatory to going into this passage is for all of us to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Thank you, man. All right, that, that, that does that? Oh, I see. Good. Thank you. I'd like us to turn to chapter two, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to read to you what Paul writes to the church in Corinth concerning some of his experiences about sharing the gospel. And I want us to see that when we read this, what we're reading is what has already occurred. So these events have already happened by the time we get to chapter 21 of Acts. Paul remembers this. He's already had these experiences. And so if we turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, Paul is recounting some of the experiences that he has had as, as a faithful minister, as a disciple maker, as a believer in Jesus Christ who will walk, live, and share the gospel for the glory of God. So he begins this way. Are they servants of Christ? He's talking about those who have been criticizing him. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. And now he begins to explain what he's been through because these people have said, if you have been through these, you're not an apostle. So here's the cost of his apostleship. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so as we read chapter 21, let's keep this in mind. This is Paul's history of sharing the gospel. We are here today, many of us, perhaps most of us, because this man paid this price to share the gospel. But you see, having experienced these kinds of obstacles and dangers, this didn't deter Paul from pursuing the ministry of the gospel. Now, I, I think I can be clear on this, that if I were out ministering the gospel and preaching in the streets and they 
went ahead and rested me and beat me with rods. I think the next time I'm going to talk about Jesus, talk about the gospel, talk about how to be saved, I might think it out again. You see, I think it would slow me down. Would you be slowed down if they beat you with rods? Would anybody else be slowed down? Would I be the only one who can? Well, let me think this out again. There, 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 may, there has to be a better way of this than this. Surely this can't be God's will for my life. Surely there has to be a better way, an easier path, because I'm a child of God. And as a child of God, I'm doing the will of God. And as I'm doing the will of God, certainly I will be blessed, and I am being blessed. And certainly that blessing means I'm going to have a whole lot easier time. So maybe Paul was out of the will of God, not by faith. He has to be doing something wrong. Well, of course not. He's right where he needs to be. He's right where God wants him to be. So why could he pursue? Why could he persist? Things are going to get worse for the church. Are you encouraged? John 16, 33. Jesus' final statement to his disciples before he prays and is arrested. What does John 16, 33 say? Boys, before I leave, I need to let you know. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be encouraged. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to get it. But I'm there with you. Amen. It's going to get worse. These are the best days, the easiest days. We don't share this to frighten. We don't share this to get you upset. We share it as a preparation. You tell your kids, now, when you go to school tomorrow, this is going to happen, but it's going to be okay. And they're going to say, this, but it's going to be. How many parents prepare the kids? God is preparing us. It's going to be okay. Why could he pursue? Why could he look at all of that and say this? I'm still going on. Why? Because he had experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. That's what he wrote in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. When Paul writes this, he has already probably experienced all of the difficulties that he's written. Well, he has experienced all of the difficulties and the attacks and the suffering that he's written in 2 Corinthians. And he can still say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is a power of God unto salvation. Well, before we continue, what is this gospel that Paul is so controlled by and moved by and understanding of its power? Well, we could give a definition of the gospel several different ways, but at least let me share it this way. The gospel is God's good news that he forgives our sin because Jesus, his son, has paid the full price in his own suffering and death on the cross so that everyone who trusts Jesus, who calls out to Jesus to be forgiven, will be forgiven and will be saved from God, the judgment of God's wrath. 
and will become a child in the family of God. That's the gospel. So that's what Paul is motivated by. Do you remember? He has been strengthened. I'm sorry, his purpose is that he is driven for one purpose. He is driven to the strengthening of all the disciples by teaching and preaching and ministering and living this gospel. And there's a lot going to get in his way. And the lot he's going to pay for in order to do this. And so what has happened that Paul should be such a man that of faith and fortitude and determination? What has happened to this man? What has caused this man to be this way? What made him this way? One thing made Paul this way. One thing made him a man who in the face of whatever it was, and it wasn't that Paul wanted to suffer. He's like, we are. I don't want to be beaten with rods. I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't even want to be inconvenienced at the red light. I mean, I was coming this morning to church, and can you imagine the audacity that on Carrollton Avenue at Oak, I had to wait for a red light. I don't want to suffer. How many of you want to suffer? Not a hand went up. Paul doesn't either. He's not embracing suffering for suffering's sake. He's embracing it as part of God's redemptive work and the revelation and the outworking of the glory of God through the ministry of the gospel. What changed him? What caused him to be able to run pell-mell into the face of suffering? He met Jesus. He met Jesus. Remember in Acts chapter 9. Now, as Paul went his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around about him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but arise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. What changed Paul's life? What made Paul a man who was able to take the sufferings and not only endure them with gritting his teeth, but endure them for redemptive purposes and get right back up and go right back into the town that stoned him? He met Jesus. You see, what was driving Paul? The same passion that drove Jesus was driving Paul. The passion of Jesus now was given to Paul by the Holy Spirit. In John 2, 17, you remember why Jesus goes into the temple and he's cleaning the temple. What is he doing here? The disciples remembered when they see this man cleansing the temple and throwing things around and clearing out all the merchandising and the sinful activities that is happening in the temple. They remember this. Zeal for thy house. Where's the house of God? Where's the house of God? Look around. Zeal for Lakeview Christian Center. Zeal for First Baptist Church. Zeal for believers that way, this way, that way. Zeal for us. Zeal for thy house has consumed me. This is what drove the Son of God, that he would have a house for the Father's joy, a people. Zeal, look around. 
suffering for the purpose of building the house. And if you've ever been involved to any extent and in any situation being used to build the house of God relationally, financially, whateverly, you know that someday, at some time, in some way, you're going to get criticized, you're going to suffer, somebody's not going to like it. Oh, you're with me on this. But what keeps us going? The same zeal that propelled Paul, that propelled Jesus. Do we have a zeal for God's zeal for his house? So going on to Rome through Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 20, there's a tearful and emotional departure. And Paul was ready to get on down to Jerusalem to take the offering that he had collected because of the needy in Jerusalem. And he was ready to get down there. Why? Because not only was he ready to give the offering, but Paul was ready to move on. You see, he saw Jerusalem as the stepping stone to somewhere else. He saw Jerusalem as a stepping stone to Rome. So look what he says in 1921 of Acts. Paul resolved in the spirit or by the Spirit, to pass through Macedonia to Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul has something in him. He has a vision in him. He has a command in him. He has the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul, you are going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to be used this way, that way. This is what's going to happen. Now, it's an exciting thing to receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit. By the way, did I not? Oh, I haven't gotten to that yet. Of where we're going and what we're going to be doing. Isn't it wonderful to get some revelation of what God wants us to do? How many of us here have some idea of where God wants us to be going as far as evangelism and living our life? Don't we have some idea? We're going to Rome. Hey, great. <laughs> but you see, there's only one problem. JT? God didn't tell him how he was going to get there. You're going to witness to your neighbor. Great. I've been praying for her for 40 years. Wonderful. You're going to be used evangelistically over here. You're going to have that. Whatever it is. The problem in this is how are we going to get there? (laughs) And what is God going to do to get us there? What path is God going to give to us? We assume, well, if it's God's purpose and we're supposed to go to Rome, hey, we're going to go in air condition, in comfort, no red lights. We're going to be welcomed with arms wide open. We're going to have good meals. It's, It's going to be a cruise. But that's not the way God is. Sometimes it is that way. But we should anticipate it always being that way. And when it isn't, we should not anticipate that it's not God, that God is not with us. He's going on to Rome. So when we had departed from them, from the Ephesian elders, verse 1 to 4, and we set sail, we came by a straight course to cost. Do we see where that is? Where is that? Here it is. Here it is right here. 
Here's where we're going, and we're going all the way down Patara, to Patara. And the next day, day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Venetia, we went abroad, aboard, aboard and set sail. Talking like those Shalmatians again. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to be unloaded as cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So they right here, and we're going all the way over here where? To Tyre. So that's where the first four verses of the chapter take us. Right there. So that's where we are right there. They get to Tyre. The boat's going to unload. It's going to take a few days. So what does Paul do? I need to get to the church. There are disciples in this city that Paul has already met with several years before with Barnabas on one of his journeys. Also from the persecution of Stephen. Remember we read that this morning, the scattering of the church. So there are men and women of Christ of the, um, of the church here. And so those who are being ministered to knew Paul several years before. And so this is maybe one of those very rare times when Paul's back in town. Paul's back in town. Let's all get together. And so he stays there for seven days. What kind of a reception must this have been? Think about it. Paul's back. The man through whose ministry many of us were birthed into the church. This man who cares for the church. Who loves the church. Who tells the Thessalonians, I'm a nursing mother to you. This man of such relational care and comfort for the church. This man of such insight to the word of God and the revelation and the work of God. This man who carries with him the anointing of the power of God. People are healed. Sicknesses are put away. He's back with us. He's back with us. And if you're like I am, you're going to pray that when Paul leaves, what? God, protect him and keep him safe. Amen? That's what we're going to be praying for him. What a time of fellowship, of, of catching up, of encouragement, of teaching. Just feel it. Feel it, what it must have been like. Sometimes we go through the Word and we... But feel what it must have been like to have this man back in our midst. Because I don't believe there was a man on earth like Paul. He's our pastor. And he's come back through town. And we're going to spend seven days with him. And I don't believe that people straggled into that meeting. I think they were there early... And I think they were there late, like we heard a week or so ago. It's the only time we may ever, never get to see him again. And we're going to be there. I'm taking off work. I'm going to let my grass grow. I won't be able to catch up with the next episode on TV. There's something more important. The man of God is here. The man of God is here. I say this fearing what you'll think I'm trying to say, but... That the church would still have that attitude for the preachers and the ministers of the gospel. But you see, there was a cloud coming into the meeting. There's something negative coming in. See, Paul told him that he's going to suffer in Jerusalem. What do you mean you're going to suffer? 
Well, don't go. Are you sure you're going to suffer? I mean, so what does verse 4b say? And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul what? Don't go. How can it be God's will that this incredible man of God suffer and maybe even die? That, That can't be God's will. You know that. You remember Stephen, mighty man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 7 of Acts. Just beginning the ministry. Just beginning. He goes out there. I don't know how many sermons he preached before this. Perhaps it was the first, fifth, or whatever. But he preaches a sermon. And as a result of that sermon, what do they do? These guys race upon him, drag him out, and stone him to death. How can that be God? How can it be God? And so this is what, of course, they're concerned about Paul. So they say, don't go, don't go, don't go. How many of us feel that way? A couple of weeks ago, Keith was sharing about his new leadership role in the region. I'm going to say this, hoping that none of you mishear me this morning. But And there were several that were afraid that, does that mean Keith's leaving? No, it doesn't. But uh, don't go. Don't go. You see, that's how we are impacted by those who are ministering into our lives. Don't go. Stay. God wouldn't want you to go. And so as a result, we don't want you to suffer. What am I trying to say? That whatever is happening in this world today and is coming into the church, we need to be very careful not to work against what God is doing and to allow him to reveal to us what he's doing. And if it means suffering, then we need to walk in that rather than to be rejecting it. Because to be rejecting it, we will not receive the benefit that God wants to create in our lives as a result of this. We need to be those who are embracing the full gospel of Jesus Christ. The full gospel. Will I take blessings from him and not difficulty? Will I take the good things and reject the difficult things? No. We want to accept all that God has for us. Now, although their feeling was understandable, and it's even reasonable. I would have been in there saying, don't go. Paul had heard from God, and Paul knew that he needed to go to Jerusalem. You remember what I just quoted from Acts chapter 19. I must go to Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm going on to Rome. He heard from God. He heard by the Spirit. I'm going to Rome. I have to get going. And so what was propelling Paul was not just a general kind of a fuzzy idea of what's going to happen in the future, but he had a distinct revelation from the Holy Spirit. This is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to be walking. Now, we may or may not have that kind of a thing, but at least we know enough to know that when we, when we are obedient to God, we're going to suffer some kind of way for that. And our attitude is going to be, well, I don't know if this can be God, because if it were, I wouldn't be feeling this way. So verse 5, when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed 
and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship and they returned home. How do you think the church felt? How do you think the church felt? There had to be great weeping and lamentation in the church, lamenting in the church. Because you see, they were fearing that this man would die and they'd never see him again. Verses 7 to 10, when we had finished our voyage to Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. Remember where we are now? Right there. And we greeted the brethren and stayed with them for one day. And then the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who, profi- who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So Caesarea, Caesarea is the last stop right there before they get right down there to Jerusalem. But they're getting the same warning and they're getting the same reaction. It's not different. Wherever Paul and the team are going, the Holy Spirit continues to say, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be suffering. You're going to get opposed. You're going to be in trouble. Things are going to happen. Why? Because, you see, part of our ability to be ready and withstand is to be warned. We have to be warned. And coming to us, verse 11, Agabus, remember this man, this prophet, took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, you remember Agabus in chapter 11, who has already been used as a New Testament prophet to prophesy the coming famine that occurred several years later. And actually, that prophecy is what precipitated the church to send Saul and Barnabas and, you know, to go out and be collecting the money. Because of that, they began to collect the money, and the church in Jerusalem, at least, was buffeted from the severe effects of the famine because they were prepared. A New Testament prophet, you remember in Ephesians 4.11, God has given to the church what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. And so he gives these ministries, these elders in the church who function in these categories or these offices, if you would, for the continuing ministry and building up of the church. And a New Testament prophet, without going into any detail this morning, because I didn't believe that's where the Lord wanted me to go, although I resisted this and tried to explain to him that we needed to go there, but, mm, you know, he (laughs) threw that out. Uh, A New Testament prophet is one who is anointed to speak the current will of God into the daily life of the church. Now, it wasn't like an Old Testament prophet, thus saith the Lord, the unequivocal word of God without any fault, any failure, any uh, infallibility. It is absolutely the word of God. No, a New Testament prophet is one who speaks from the authority of the word of God, this being his base, and he speaks that which the Holy Spirit gives to him to share with the church for their needs at that particular time. So we heard Bill do that this morning. We needed to hear what Bill was saying this morning. Why? Because... 
we needed to hear it. And secondly, I think was part of the whole process that God is doing here. He's sharing with us. So he will use particular folks who have a prophetic gifting. But there is also a place of profit among us, a man who would be functioning in this gifting kind of as an office or as an activity, as an ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's about all I want to say. Keith can do a lot better job in explaining that than I can. Verse 12. Now, when we heard this, we heard what? Paul, you're going to get it. They're going to bind you up. We and the people there urged him not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, what do you see in that verse that's interesting? How many of you remember pronouns? Remember a pronoun is a word that takes the place of a noun, singular, plural, objective, nominative. Remember those things? What pronoun do you see in this verse? Are you reading the same Bible I'm reading? How many, do you see it? Gina, you saw it. You said we. We. Who's we? Luke is in on this. Yeah, when we heard that news, they were all upset and they told Paul not to do it. But, you know, it wasn't they. It's in Paul's own company. It's in Paul's own leadership team. Paul has a vision, a word from God to go ahead and go this way and do that. And that doesn't mean that everybody on the same, everybody in the team needs to have the same vision. And so they also are resisting him. This is cutting deep. See, this is deep. Do you remember the, the occasion in Jesus' ministry when he was out ministering and his mom and them came, his mother and his brothers? Remember that? And said what? He is beside himself. What does that mean? He's been out in the sun too long. Son, you need to come home. You need to sit for a while. Take a little vacation. Chill out for a while. Kind of get rested up. So then you go back into the ministry. And Jesus says, hey, who's my mama? Who's my daddy? Who's my brothers? This is his family here. He wasn't putting his parents down, but what he was saying is that his people are related to him, not naturally, but spiritually. But even within the same family, the spiritual family, Paul's receiving, don't go, don't go. You're going to get in trouble. I remember years ago, I was working for the New Orleans Recreation Department. Now, some of you may not know that I was probably best on the basketball court because I dribbled so well. And so, dribble. Keith is sitting there, what? He told me he can beat you anytime at basketball, anytime he'll meet you anywhere. You're dead. There's a rivalry between old man Collins and young Jack Collins. Can you beat him? Look at the, like that. <laughs> not a question, not a question to it. Mm-hmm. 
out of the blue, literally, because I wasn't really asking for this, I, I received a very strong impression that I was going to get a new job. And so I began to pray for the fulfillment of that. I mean, this was very strong. So strong that one day, Ray Teasley, who was my assistant, and I were going to lunch, and I remember exactly where it was. We were walking through Lafayette Square. And I told him, and of course, he had a good chuckle over that, like, oh, yeah, you've heard from God. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, well, you know, one of those. I said, no, Ray. He said, well, what are you going to be doing? I said, I don't know. And I'm thinking I'll be transferred maybe to another department in the city, whatever, just a new position. Now, to make a short story long, <laughs> we wound up through a series of really miraculous events of buying a company called New Orleans Envelope and Printing. Do you, do you remember that, Dan? My wife was with me in these days. I had never been in a print shop in my whole life. But we bought the business. Why? It was God. It was God. Now, this is God's will. And I can tell you faithfully, I have never as far as physical work and concern, never had over those 15 years gone through anything like that. This was difficult. We did well. The company did well. But it was a labor. I mean, it was tough. It was grueling. Not only physically, but it was grueling on me. Because would God have given us the opportunity to buy a business, which, by the way, we received back corporate taxes more than what we paid for it. Would he have done this? And how many times I had to battle through? Did I miss God? Why was I asking? Because of the sufferings, of the difficulties. I wasn't asking it because I didn't like the printing. I mean, Frank Laurie can tell you, we never made a mistake and everything was perfect. <laughs> Hope he's not saying anything. I'm not looking that way. <laughs> it could it be God? Just so much difficulty. But it was God. Oh, little did I know that the Holy Spirit was preparing me to be on staff here. Could this be God, some of you are asking? <laughs> some of you should, somebody should have said that. Somebody's not, somebody's sleeping this morning. God gave you an answer and you didn't do it. Could this be God? <laughs> Suppose, no, it can't be God, I'm stopping. Well, when I first came on staff, some of, me, of you may remember Mike Indes. And I, I think it was for the first two or three years before you came on staff, Billy was still here. And I would say regularly to Mike, I don't know whether this is God. I don't know. And finally, Mike, after about a year of this, said to me, if you say one more time, I'm going to knock you down. He was tired of hearing it. And I was saying it only because it just, it's not, it doesn't feel, it's, it's not going. Are you with me on this? I don't know whether I'm communicating, but I want to get a sense of something feeling inside of you. How could it be God? And I hope that this is God for me to be here. 
And I'm trusting it is, and I do believe it is. You see, Paul was ready to continue because he knew what God was doing. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So verses 14 to 16. And since he would not be persuaded, don't let anyone persuade you away from the Lord's course unless or until you know it is God who is persuading you away. We simply cannot judge by sufferings and experiences. There must be something that goes along with that that informs what is going on in our life. He would not be persuaded. I, for one, am thankful for that. We ceased and said, you see, Luke is saying, I was one of the ones I shut up. Okay, Paul. And said, let the will of the Lord be done. We don't get it. We may not agree with it. We may not even like it. Is it okay for me to tell you that I have not always liked God's will for my life? Is it okay for me to tell you that? Is it okay for me to tell you I've not always agreed with God's will in my life? I just haven't. I'm of the disposition I do know something more than God knows, and he hasn't understood certain things. I mean, I really, you know, I have to fight that. I'm the only one who has to fight that, I'm sure. It's okay. But don't let it persuade you. Do you see the difference? I don't like God's will sometimes. I don't agree with God's will, and I certainly don't understand it most of the time. But Gary, don't let it persuade you. Michael, don't let it persuade you. Let it inform me, and maybe there's something going on, and I will search it out better, but don't let it persuade me. Let the will of the Lord be done. If you're not sure, let God's will be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Paul was finally in Jerusalem, and he was about to embark on the rest of God's will for his life. He's finally there. Well, to go or not to go, that is the question. Remember Shakespeare, to be or not to be, it's a play on words. To go or not to go. To do God's will or not to do God's will. To say or not to say. To, to be or not to be. To, to live this way or not to live this way. To, to embrace this or not to embrace this. To agree with that or not to agree with that. To adhere to what uh, they are saying over here. All of these questions in our lives always floating around and bombarding us. 
So I want to conclude with this. Why could Paul anticipate such sufferings and still continue with determination and resolve? Now, some of this, you may not have a few of these scriptures in your notes, so you'll just have to write along. Why could he do it? Why can we do it? Why can we either anticipating or even experiencing life is rough? Now, life is rough without Christ. By the way, let me let you know this. Whether you are a believer or not, you're going to suffer. Can you say amen? Everybody suffers. But in Christ, you're going to suffer differently and for a purpose that is eternal. As an unbeliever, the world will suffer just as a taste of the wrath to come. They suffer differently for a different purpose. Why could Paul continue with such determination and resolve? He continued because of the joy of God's purpose. I remember another man who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down to the right hand of God, Hebrews 12, 2. There was another man who embraced the suffering but did it with joy, determination, and resolve. And we are his people. And today is a day of preparation that if we do not begin today to adjust our attitude, fears, anxieties, likes, dislikes, rejection, receptions, in this area of difficulty, sufferings, tribulations, if we don't start today, when the flood comes, it's too late. Remember Katrina? How many of you were here for Katrina? Yes. Some were prepared and some were not. And when that storm broke in, we stayed, and it came in in a fury about 8 o'clock in the morning. Let me tell you, at 8 o'clock in the morning, it was too late for me to go in my yard and start picking up the stuff around my yard. I'd have been gone. It was too late. The day of preparation were those days of warning. Hurricane's coming. Hurricane's coming. Hurricane's coming. Yeah, but I... You know, Phil, it's so difficult for me to go out. I'm tired, man. I don't want to go outside and get the yard prepared. I'm just, I'm tired. You know, Mo, I have other things to do. Man, I'm going to go to the movies tonight. What? Oh, no. There he goes again. He doesn't want us to go to movies. He doesn't want to move furniture. <laughs> we have to be prepared. A hurricane's coming. It is the work of Satan. To in the last days before Jesus returns, most violently oppose the return of Christ. See, what you see in ISIS, that Islam, what you see here is that God has done something for us in this.
He has removed the mask of false religion and is exposing its heart. May I say it like that? Don't fall for this stuff that any other religion except Christianity. Don't fall for the thing that any other religion is okay and is loving and is kind. There is a demon behind it all. His name is Satan. Don't fall for it. You're very narrow-minded. Oh, thank God I am. For Jesus says, narrow is the way. Jesus, very narrow-minded. Don't fall for it. Be prepared. How was Paul prepared? Just a couple of general things. I'm going to leave stuff out. You may have a whole lot more, but at least let me share this. First, Paul knew that ministering the gospel would involve suffering. Acts 9, 16, this is what Jesus told Agabus to tell Paul. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. First, living, sharing, ministering, preaching, teaching, walking the gospel will bring opposition of Satan in some way at some level. Amen? It's going to happen. You're going to get it. So when they don't like it or understand you, don't start weeping. Start rejoicing that I am in the midst of God's will. Now, this doesn't mean that you, because you're mean as a snake, if that's why you're getting attacked, then you need to be attacked. But it's, we're talking about the gospel work here. Secondly, Paul knew that God's glory is revealed in the way we respond to Jesus' name. The way I respond to sitting at a light and waiting and I'm suffering here. <laughs> we don't know what suffering is. Anybody suffer, as the Hebrew says, to the point of shedding your blood yet? No, I don't think so. He says... He knew that God's glory is revealed in the way we respond to our sufferings. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. For this light momentary affliction. Now, do you remember the, the scripture I read in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28? Remember that? Light momentary affliction? Beatings and rods and shipwreck? Are you kidding, Paul? Light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Why, why? As we look. As we look, not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. But the things that are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. In suffering, in difficulties, look at what's going on. But then don't fix your eyes on it. Look up. Look up to him who stands at the right hand of the Father as he did when Stephen was being stoned, I see the Son of Man standing. A commander standing. And see him and say, for your sake, for your sake, I do this for your sake. Paul knew that no amount of suffering could separate him from the love of God. Listen to these verses in Romans 8. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And I want to ask the same question to you this morning. Shall tribulation? (sighs) 
Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? No. Sword? No! Don't let any of it happen to you. Don't let it happen. Do you notice I said don't let it be an issue of causing you to think something about God that is not true. You see, we do not evaluate God on the basis of our experiences and our suffering. And many of us do this. If God, where is God and why didn't God? Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous because that's Satan. Hath God said. It's preparatory to a disaster. Don't let it happen. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep without slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, persuaded, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me and you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What determination in Christ. So at the end of his life, Paul could say this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and on that day. And not only to me, but also to all of those who love his appearing. We're going to get it. It's coming. It's coming. We can't stop it. It's coming. I agree that we should pray about it not to come, but I think we are better off praying to be prepared when it comes. I don't say we shouldn't pray, Lord, forbid it to be so, but I think we better pray, prepare me for this. You see, as we face the suffering that's coming, the question is this, is the gospel of the glory of Christ worth the trouble, the tribulation? Is it worth the cost? Ask that question. But ask that question in light of this day when we hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. On that day, All that we go through today will have been made worthwhile. Amen? So let's not wait for that day to make it worthwhile. Let us today know that that day is coming and today live in the good and in the anticipation and in the reality that that day is coming and one day we're going to stand there with the glorious ones of God and look back on our life if we are able to and look and say, why, why, what was I, this is not compared to what, let's look at it and pursue that kind of an attitude.
Because in that attitude, you see God is honored. Is the suffering worth it? The cost of the cross is worth the cost. I mean, the result of the cross is worth the cost. Amen.